Hi everyone, I'm Eloise Sutton-Kirkby and you're listening to the Contract Recruiter Podcast. This is a show where we speak to recruitment industry experts about how to start and scale a successful contract business. We'll be taking you on a global tour, unwrapping contract recruitment country by country. So if you're a listener to our previous edition and traveled with us to Japan, welcome back. And if you're new to the Contract Recruiter Podcast, very glad you could join us. This season, we're going down under to Australia. This podcast is ideal for international recruiters who want to learn more about the contract market in Australia. After all, it is the world's seventh largest recruitment market with an estimated worth of 21 billion USD. And we hear it's a pretty great place to live. So join us as we speak to Australia's recruitment royalty about what contract recruitment looks like in 2021. Today's special guest is Carl Lavander, founder and CEO of multi-award-winning recruitment compliance technology software, RatesCalc. In this episode, Cole dissects the complex system of awards and agreements that's unique to the Australian recruitment market and shares how recruiters can navigate the compliance minefield. So welcome to the ANZ edition of The Contract Recruiter, Cole Lavander. Thanks ever so much for joining us. Um, I've already given you a brief intro to the listeners, but in your own words, who are you, Cole, and what do you do? Uh, look, I, um, I've been in the recruitment industry for 30 years and I uh, turned my hand to technology about eight years ago. It was um, around the time, not, not long after, uh, well, just before I met you um, and Bernie in, um, in Singapore. Um, yeah, look, been in recruitment for 30 years, uh, primarily in temp and contingent staffing in the latter stages of my career, more in that RPO, MSP space. Uh, so I've been very lucky to be exposed across um, a number of uh, different types of outsourcing models around temp and contract, but not just in Australia, but also in other countries. And I've had exposure in North America, uh, Colombia, um, and uh, other parts of the world. So I've been very, very lucky, very fortunate. It's been a great ride. But uh, yeah, I've, I've built a piece of tech and uh, the technology really supports recruiters here in Australia. Um, and in other countries, of course, to help navigate the, the changes um, that occur in the industrial landscape. So we've had, this is the fourth episode of um, the Contract Recruiter ANZ edition, Cole. And yeah. what we want to focus on today is this, um, something that's quite unique to Oz, which is this concept of the awards and agreements, um, which all temp contract labour hire businesses in Australia have to be mindful of. Um, can you give us an overview of what awards and agreements means and what they are? Yeah, sure. So firstly, um, uh, there's a department with the government called Fair Work Australia. And Fair Work Australia, uh, in party with the Fair Work Commission and the Fair Work Ombudsman, are the authorities across the modern award framework in Australia. Uh, the modern award framework was introduced in 2010. Um, you know, so a uniformity of, uh, of the national award-based system. So the awards have been around for years, of course, but uh, is, uh, to get all of those states in line, because we have eight states here, um, there are currently 121 modern awards in Australia, you know, which covers everything from you know fish farming all the way through to manufacturing and construction. Um, and they change all the time. Um, so the award system is fundamentally um, underpinned by you know an absolute minimum wage, um, albeit Many of them aren't on the minimum wage, it's higher. And uh, there are a number of different conditions, allowances um, that uh, are covered under those awards um, for various skill levels um, in those specific industries that they fit. 
And then, of course, um, uh, you've got all the other nuances over here in respect to superannuation guarantees and workers' compensation, which is, um, you know, two government-run states in Australia and, and the other half a dozen privately-run insurers. Um, and then, of course, you know, you've got the agreement side of it as well, Al, which you mentioned. And agreements, uh, you know, could be collective agreements or enterprise bargaining agreements. And enterprise bargaining agreements could be with an organisation and the union for a particular project or a site, um, or it may be just an enterprise-wide um, agreement for workers. Um, and then you've also got collective agreements. So collective agreements could be a collective agreement across multiple awards, um, where an organisation that supplies or has staff that work in multiple uh, industries, um, so they call it a collective agreement rather than an enterprise bargaining agreement. Um, and again, you know, very, very challenging, of course. I mean, there's oodles and oodles, thousands of them here in Australia with those. And then, of course, um, on the smaller side, of, but probably the most prevalent in a lot of ways is um, the individual flexibility agreement. And they come in all different shapes and sizes. Um, and it's a, a relationship between an individual, i.e. a contractor, mm -hmm. and the employer. So um, is it any wonder, as you say, it's a very unique world here in Australia, but uh, it's an absolute minefield from an industrial perspective. I mean, it sounds incredibly complex. So as a recruitment firm, you kind of got to be mindful and you're juggling all of these different awards and types of agreements. I mean, typically, how does a recruitment firm in Oz, contract recruitment firm, manage or approach this? Yeah. Um, yeah, look, it's a great question. And I mean, before we came along, uh, you know, people were reliant on RSS feeds, you know, being members of respective um, uh, like chambers of commerce or industry groups to get information fed to them to, uh, to update them on things um, in respect to changes to agreements and awards, etc. cetera. Um, but uh, it's a constantly moving beast. And, uh, you know, this year in, in particular, obviously, you know, 2020 has been a really interesting year for everyone. Um, not so good for some, good for others. I mean, we've been very, very busy, but we've had several changes to the modern award framework this year alone with releases of tranches. Um, it, it's been relentless and, you know, they're still changing awards now and we're just two days, you know, out from Christmas. It's crazy. So um, I think the, the, the hardest thing for recruitment businesses and, you know, uh, and look, most people pick things up reasonably well in respect that, you know, they know their space, they know their vertical and they know, their sweet spot um, and they're really focused maybe on one um, award and they know it um, or they may have a collective agreement for their recruitment business um, and they know it. Um, however, once you start broadening your services and, and of course recruiters do when they go into other markets, um, then you're going into unknown territory and, um, and if you don't know those awards and you don't know the agreements that are bound in those particular industries, um, that's where you can get yourself into trouble. I mean, when we say trouble, what are the consequences of getting it wrong as a recruitment firm? Oh, look, massive. I mean, in some states, um, you know, it's jail time, you know, in respect to compliance. Um, if you're you know, underpaying people and not, uh, you know, meeting your obligations, um, you can. it's jail time. So, uh, I mean, you know, Australia is very, very harsh over here in respect to that. It's also very harsh in respect to workplace health and safety as well. Um, mm in jail time um, because at the end of the day um, the employer has the, the responsibility to pay people properly but also make sure that they get home safely as well so um, you know it's a very over-regulated um, environment and in some cases rightly so but certainly from a recruiter's perspective uh, 
you know, uh, you've really got to know your runnings or you've got to have software that is going to actually help you um, in navigating this, these changes all the time. And, and we're not just talking about awards and agreements. We've got, you know, superannuation changes. We've got state-based payroll tax requirements. Um, you know, you've got the superannuation guarantee, um, you know, which is important and super is payable on certain types of um, components of particular awards and agreements. And then you've also got some um, workers' compensation. Um, and again, you know, payable on certain types of, uh, of entitlements. So um, staying on top of all that and understanding what you have to do, um, it can be very, very complex. And, and the difficulty that you have with that also, well, um, is that payroll systems, you know, they provide you a piece of software and, you know, arguably many of them quite good and, you know, you set up real groups in them and they can do interpretation and the like, um, but they don't really update you on what's changed in an award and agreement. They basically say, well, here's the software. Um, it works, it's great, um, which arguably in most cases it is. Um, but you have to manage that and you have to stay on top of the changes that occur all the time. Um, the payroll software company doesn't do that for you. Um, and that's where we come in. Interesting. And before RatesCalc, um, or for companies who aren't using RatesCalc, typically will that just be, will that responsibility just sit with someone in the back office team and they're, yeah. you know, it's on them to update? Yeah, very much so. And, uh, you know, the, the Stone Age recruiter is using Excel spreadsheets um, and, uh, yeah, they're reliant, you know, normally on one, maybe two people, depending on the size of the organisation, um, on uh, their subject matter expertise in the awards um, uh, or the, the markets that they play in. Um, I mean, the amount of uh, businesses that I speak to that uh, you've got a managing director or, you know, one person in the business, that, uh, that manages that process. Um, and they will not let recruiters, you know, do quoting as an example and providing rates to clients because it really is open and, and rife to human error. Well, with, with jail time as a potential consequence, you know, you can't really blame them, can you? It's, the stakes are quite high, I suppose. Well, I agree. And look, at the end of the day, you, you know, when you're running a 10 contingent staffing business, if you're not paying your people properly, um, you know, you haven't got a business, right? Because you know, the, the downstream effect of that is you know, incorrect invoices and then you, you know, the client won't like you. Um, mm. uh, you know, you're, you're doing the, the 101 stuff incorrectly. Have you had any high profile cases where a recruitment agency has been kind of on the block because they've not managed compliance oh, correctly? I mean, you know, without mentioning names, but there are a number of them that um, that have uh, you know got the chop. I don't know about jail time, but they've certainly been fined extensively. Mm. Uh, and uh, you know, it's in the public domain. People can go digging there if they want to, um, and you can certainly find that information. Um, but uh, yeah, a number of um, agencies. I mean, and at the moment, um, there's a considerable amount of um, you know civil action pending here in Australia. Um, you know. Uh, I mean, the well-known and well-spoken of Workpack Rosado, Workpack Scheme cases here in Australia um, is really um, going to, you know, throw the cat amongst the pigeons next year in uh, in 2021 when that hits the High Court. Um, and and that's all around casualisation. And, um, and I'm sure one of your previous speakers on the podcast, um, if I picked that up correctly, was Charles, and and he would have spoken about this. And you know, uh, it, it's a it's a really interesting space. What's going to go on there? And and look, um, you know, there's a civil piece to it, but there's also the you know the fair work piece to it. And as I mentioned earlier, um, there's been significant change to the modern awards and the agreements this year, particularly. And um, you know, um, it's constantly changing. And I, and I think that that's the hardest thing, El, 
for any business and any recruiter is, is being able to keep up with the change all the time. You know, it, it, it's just crazy, um, uh, particularly this year. Um, very, very difficult. And would I be correct in saying that um, the complexities around awards and agreements, it would be more of an issue for kind of high volume temp, like blue collar um, recruitment agencies, as opposed to sort of like more the white collar contractor agencies? Yeah, I actually don't, um, yes to a degree, but I don't necessarily agree either. Um, we've got a lot of clients who are, who are white collar, they play in IT as an example, um, you know, and very successful businesses. and. Um, it, it's not just about that, it, you know, once you start stepping out of the non-award PAYG employee or the contractor piece, well, you know, you've got all those complexities around, okay, well, you know, um, if they're a contractor, are they a real contractor uh, or are they actually an employee? Um, mm. We had the graduation guarantee amnesty pass here recently, um, you know, which was waived. Now it's live. Um, I've heard of some recruiters down here that have had significant fines um, from the um, from the ATO because um, you know uh, their employees you know well their their contractors were deemed as employees because they were provided with regular um, work regular um, uh, provision of work and it was predictable um, and uh, and those people were really regarded as permanent employees or you know salaried employees but because there was no timesheet records kept of that person um, and uh, detail as to what they were doing. Um, they were deemed to be employees, not contractors. So um, that's a big punch in the nose for a lot of people. And I think that's probably, you know, more than ever, that's actually going to come home to roost next year. Um, it's not just about the blue collar guys and the, and the you know, I mean, the, the hotspots, which are typically agri-industry agri and those sorts of areas, which have been known to exploit workers. And that's the other side of the fence. But, but certainly on the white collar side, you know, I think that's actually going to um, be a real, uh, head shake, you know, next year. So for our listeners, um, and typically call our listeners are an international bunch, um, recruitment MDs or owners who are maybe thinking of setting up in Australia, um, right. a contract or a, or a temp business. Yeah. What are a few of the tips that you would share with them um, when s- establishing that recruitment business in Australia? Obviously doing things right and, and with the, through the lens of compliance and, and risk avoidance. Look, I think, um, you know, in, data and information is important, you know, from the start. You know, you, you've got to be speaking and you've got to be subscribed or, uh, you know, following or receiving information um, about your market and what you're doing. You know, joining industry associations, I think, is important. Um, but also really just sort of doing your, your study of the markets that you're planning to get into. Um, and then, of course, um, you know, you, you've got to hire local. Um, you start bringing people in from overseas who don't know the market, it'll be a big learning curve for them. Um, So, you know, having that experience, I think. um, I think the other thing, of course, is, you know, I mean, you know, singing my own hymn sheet here, really, it's all about having the right tech there, Elle. You know, you Mm. really can use the right tech that can can manage your compliance as best it can, and a lot of software products can't. Um, But really, you know, managing that compliance as best you can in the front office and having those processes in place, that's important. Um, obviously, using our system, uh, that's going to help you as well. Bit of a shameless plug there. Um, it, um, you know, I, I honestly believe that, um, you know, in this market down here, um, you've really got to do your research. Um, and obviously, you know, when you, it's no, it'd be no different than anywhere else in the world. You know, cash is king, making sure that your cash flow is right. 
you know, the old story, I, I used to have a bit of a saying, you know, that, you know in Labor Hive, the amount of times I've shaken hands with people and got three fingers back, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, you can say outsource all their staff and don't pay you, you know, uh, you get all excited about uh, supplying people, then you don't get paid, you know, oh, gee, that was a good deal, you know. Um, <laughs> making sure that, um, you know, uh, you did do business with the right people. But, and I think number one, really, you know, I, I, the most common one I see, El, I have to be honest with you, don't listen to your clients because they don't know. Right, what to pay people? Interesting, interesting. So many times, you know, where you know, there's no such thing as a meal ticket. You know, Um, someone says, "Oh, yeah, we're paying this for this role," and you have the consultant who may not be schooled up or may not know that market as that well. um, Goes, "Oh, okay," and then just goes and plugs in the the rate that the client told them into their spreadsheet and gives them a set of rates. And then six months, twelve months down the track, they find out they've been underpaying people. Um, yeah, I've seen it so many times, and it's a common... what happens in that instance. Like, do they have to cop to it and then go back and address the pays well, or I mean, fines? Like, what happens? Well, yeah, I mean, look, Elle, I mean, at the end of the day, they're they're the employer, so they're the ones that are responsible. Um, I guess it becomes a fairly hard conversation with um, you know with the client, so that um, you, you've got another invoice coming to you for uh, the money that we should actually be charging you for. Um, but. Uh, Look, you know, I mean, there's a little bit of naivety out there and there are people out there that, you know, make genuine mistakes, there's no doubt about it. But um, And there are people out there that, you know, that do the wrong thing. But, you know, I think that's, you know, in, in the small uh, department. But, you know, just don't listen to your clients. Do your own research, you know. Don't take your people's words for it, you know, just because, you know, some other joke or some other labour hire business or recruitment business is providing people at that rate doesn't mean to say that it's right. So, Cole... Just one last question, crystal ball time. Ooh. How do you see the market playing out throughout 2021? Um, any predictions for how the market will be? <laughs> um, look, if I had a crystal ball, El, um, we probably wouldn't be talking, I don't think. You'd but, be on uh, a beach drinking a pina colada, wouldn't you? Uh, something like that, yeah. <laughs> no, um, look, I, I think it's going to be a really interesting year. I think it's, uh, it's a year of opportunity. I mean, you know, I'm sure you have the same views, you know, when, you know, when things are tough. Um, the tough get going and then the opportunities are there. Um, they really are. And uh, and I think the people who are smart, you know, that are nimble, that are digitalization, or digitalizing their business and they're really um, focusing on their processes, um, they're going to absolutely kill the pig next year. I've got no doubt about that. Um, having that focus and shifting to temp contracting is important. Uh, you see it. I mean, obviously, you know, I don't have a global view on everything in the world, um, but you know, there are companies that, you know, have investments and organisations down here in Australia and New Zealand that, um, you know, I mean, I know people that can't go back into the office because, you know, um, uh, overseas, you know, their staff are banned from going to the office until this whole pandemic thing settles down. Um, and, and and with that comes headcount freezes. So, you know, the first thing that goes up typically is, well, we need to get a temp, we need to get a contractor. Um, so that provides a bit of a boost um, mm. and an opportunity as well. Um, so if you're not doing temp and you're not doing contingent, and I think you know one of your speakers, Rod Hall, would have said uh, something similar. If you don't have a temp book in your business, then um, you haven't got much to sell, really. Um, so really having that sort of focus. Um, in terms of the evolution of temp and contingent, I've certainly had my predictions for some time, El, and um, I'm definitely seeing, um, you know, it's been sweeping Europe for years. I'm sure you've seen it, you know, with task-based outsourcing, you know, where it's really sort of a shift of that, of that, um, of that risk. It's all about risk mitigation these days. And yeah. particularly here in Australia, it's going to be in the future. And, 
you know, um, you know, I feel sorry for some of these these providers who've been providing staff to the mining industry, and uh, you know, they're getting called out now by by um, you know these challenges, um, you know, in the High Court. But you know, it's it's all now going to be about you know the evolution of a temp recruitment business into a true contracting business where you're providing a person for a service, um, you know, possibly with materials um, to mm. get a job done. Um, and uh, I can see that, you know, revert back to the break and fix, you know, model of, you know, um, computer software businesses or whatever, you know, uh, Geeks R Us or whatever, but I, I can see that happening. Um, and I very much see statement of work being really coming to the fore, you know. Uh, you're seeing it in government now, where government engages with the business and says, look, we've got this project, come and give us a price. Um, you give them a price for 10, 15 people for this amount of time, you know, provision of equipment and the like, give me a price and we'll write you a PO. And, and the, the, risk, the risk piece is, well, we don't want to, you know, we, we don't care what you pay your staff. Um, you're effect- effectively a contractor. Um, yeah. I definitely see that um, evolving more and more next year. Like that managed services model. Yeah, sort of statement of work-based stuff. Yeah, yeah. Cole, that's definitely coming to the fore, no doubt about that. Cole, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. And if anybody's interested in connecting with you, you're loud on LinkedIn, um, and I'd direct them towards your ratescalc.com.au. Uh, to yeah. find out more about how you can help manage that compliance piece uh, for your Aussie contract and temp business. Thanks again, Cole. Thanks for listening to the Contract Recruiter podcast. This is the final episode of the Australia edition. So the big question is, where should we go next? I'd love to hear from you. So connect with me at LinkedIn, at Eloise Sutton Kirkby, or visit our websites at contractrecruiterpodcast.com and www.vincere.io. Thanks again for joining us on this journey. See you soon.